Amen, yeah. Got a hand. Man, what a difficult time to do, to try and do ministry. And so I applaud you for, for just being a part of all the things that God has been doing, especially over the last eight months. It's been so difficult to, to do ministry then. So we have, as the church, have tried to, to plug on forward and do that. So applaud yourselves for that. It's uh, awesome that you, uh, that to see what God has done through, um, through that. Um, if you're, t- today, uh, one of the things that we're doing, um, Pastor Gus did a great job of um, just starting us off this year talking about like the Word of God and how against all odds that the Word of God has made it to where we are today into the hands of man. And through that, and there were some, some moments that he talked about that, that, that there, it could have gone either way, right? But we're thankful to have a copy of God's word in our hands today. And so what we want to do is that we want to continue over these next few weeks to see how the word of God, relevant to us today, inspired by the Holy Spirit as we read it even today, how we can go back and we can look at all of these stories with that theme in mind. One scripture, one story, one savior. You see, the gospel is a story of rescue and restore, and that story, that storyline is interwoven throughout the Old Testament, through the New Covenant, and into the New Testament. And so I'm excited to be here today to share with you uh, over these next couple weeks, and um, we'll see. Thanks, uh, Pastor Gus, for for starting us off so well this year, and uh, we're going to continue this. The series is called Against All Odds, and so today at the end of the service, outside, you'll be handed one of these. It's It's a digging deeper guide. It takes what we're talking about in here and allows you to go home and to dig further into scripture. So make sure you, you, you grab that uh, on your way out today. My name is Rob Hempill. I do um, work with students and doing student ministry stuff here and, uh, and, and various other things that we're asked to do along the way, right? Um, one scripture, one story, one savior. And so I know that uh, today we're going to be talking about, as Nathan mentioned, the story. You may call it the story of the flood. You may call it the story of the ark, whatever you call it, we get this image in our head, right, of what that looks like. Maybe for you and me, it's, it's the same thing. My, my image kind of looks a lot like this, right? I mean, you've got the, uh, you've got the, uh, we, got, we got the one down here, but you got the, the typical, you know, children's play set, and, and I'm not sure, I'm just putting this back where it was, where it was glued, I'm not sure, but um, so you got Noah here, you know, Noah's here at the front, he's got a big smile on his face, like he's getting ready for the cruise, right, and uh, you got the animals coming up the ramp two by two, and um, the camels, they're just smiling, they're just glad to be on the trip, right, and uh, uh, the elephants are just glad they didn't get left behind, you know, right, um, and the donkeys are on top of the roof for some reason, I don't know why, but, uh, but they are. And uh, this is kind of the picture that we paint. This is the kind of the story. Uh, in fact, we just read this in the, in the Jesus um, storybook Bible uh, to my youngest son, like earlier, like this week. I thought, oh, that's good timing. We're reading the story of Noah. So whatever this picture that you tell your kids, whatever, in the, in the coloring pages in our, in our children's ministry, this is kind of what comes to mind, right? Everything that we see is above the waterline. But, but what we have to remember is that if all we do is talk about what's above the waterline, we diminish God's justice. If, we, if all we ever do is talk about what's below the waterline, we diminish God's grace and God's mercy. And so this morning as we walk in through these chapters of 6 through 9 of Genesis, we want to be able to, to see that. Because what we see is, in scriptures is that the same God who saved the family is the same God who sent the flood. 
couple of points of contrast I want us to pull out of this, these passages this morning. The first one is righteousness and rebellion. Righteousness and, and rebellion. So a little context for the story. If you see in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, where we this together. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them. So at this point, I'm thinking, you know, the first time you read this story, you're thinking like, well, there can't be that many people on the earth at this point, right? I mean, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 just happened, right? And so, um, so we think that's what's taking place here. And, and the reality to this is this, um, is that maybe Noah, you know, maybe Noah's family is doing the right thing, and maybe some of the, a couple of these other families are not doing the right thing. And, and so what God does, God takes the families that aren't doing it right and gets rid of them and then saves the one family. But actually what we learn in Scripture is that between uh, chapters 4 and 5, before going into 5 and 6, there's like a gap of about 1,500 years. That is a millennium and a half. And and during that time, the earth is being populated. In fact, estimates tell us that it was in the high hundreds of millions, maybe even the low billions of people that that are populating the earth at that time. For side-by-side comparison, what I want you to see is that today in the United States, our population is roughly 331 million. So that's over double the size of those in the United States right now, populated the size of the earth, just for understanding. And so verse 5, as we start to read verse 5 of chapter 6, we start to see that these people, these hundreds of millions of people, are engaging in a behavior that's not great. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, that is 100% of the time, all these people are thinking about is evil. All they're doing is evil. There's no good deed in their heart. This is what God is seeing, right? So, like all they wanted to do was just bad things. It couldn't have gotten any worse at this moment in time. Verse 11, now the earth, now the earth is corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. You ever seen those videos? I mean, they're cute at first, right? Like on, you see those videos online of like, there's a hidden camera in the back of the classroom, and the teacher, you know, intentionally leaves the room to see what will happen. And like, there's like a couple minutes go by, and nothing happens, and people just, these guys start looking around, right? Like, what's happening? And then it happens, right? The first paper wad goes flying across the classroom and then a minute later and another one comes flying back across and then it's, then it's erasers and dry erase markers and then someone's running up and messing with the teacher's desk and, and all this chaos breaks out, right? Because that's the kind of behavior that happens in humanity. That's just, just who we are, right? When there's no accountability. And so as we continue looking, so what we have in just a few chapters here is to see how quickly the earth has fallen into this. I mean, in Genesis 1, we have the creation. We have this perfect world. In Genesis 2, we have the story of Adam and Eve. In Genesis 3, we have the fall. And by the end of uh, chapters 5 and 6, we have hundreds of millions of people who are living in complete rebellion to the way, to the desires that God has instructed. In Genesis 1, we remember we have the creation pattern. We have, we have like, Jesus, uh, or God is, is creating the earth, and he says, he creates something and he steps back and he looks at his creation. And God said, it is good, right? And then he creates something else. He steps back, he looks at it, and God says, it is. Well, God's kind of doing the same thing here. It's kind of the same pattern. God is looking at his creation. He's looking at mankind. He's looking at humanity, except what he is seeing is not good. In fact, what he is seeing is the opposite of good. In fact, we're told all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. God is seeing corruption. He's seeing violence. He's seeing outright sin here on the earth. 
But what if I told you that they're against this backdrop of lawlessness, boundaryless, chaotic, do whatever I want, culture and world, there was one. And his name was Noah. And Noah was the righteous one against this backdrop of rebellion. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, but Noah, say that with me, but Noah, let's do that again, but Noah, he's a good guy, come on now, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, these are the generations of Noah, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, Noah walked with God, you get a picture of a person here who is totally, completely different, in other words, God is looking upon humanity, He's seeing the depravity of of mankind. He's seeing the evil. And he finds just one. What what does that look like? That looks like billions of people walking completely one way. But there's one who's not walking that way. Jeremiah 17.9 says that that the heart is the, the, the most deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And here's what we know, you know, it's, it's dangerous business following after your heart. I, I hate those memes that I see online and, and those pictures and, and some into to posters and you see them everywhere, right? Like, just follow your heart and everything's going to be okay. No, it's not. Do you know what happens when Rob follows the desires of Rob's heart? Rob puts it in the ditch every single time. Every single time I put it in the ditch when I start following the desires of my heart. You know, I think, of, I think of David, David who wrote a majority of the Psalms. I mean, we think of David, right? We think of David, this mighty warrior, mighty warrior, dressed for battle. Hey, Bathsheba, hey, what's up, girl? And just like that, what happens? He starts following the desires of his heart, and he puts it in the ditch as well. You know, I think about my, my sons that are, that are here in the service today. I think about my sons that are, that are coming behind me. I don't want them following after my desires. I want them following after the desires of God. Because if they start following the the desires of their dad, guess what? That ditch is going to get really crowded really quick. I want them following after God's heart. I mean, we, you know, David learned from his mistake. How do we refer to David now? A man after whose heart? After God's own heart. That's where I want to be. Man, I could put up a human highlight reel right now, and I'd be crawling off this, this stage in shame the times I've put it in the ditch because I started following the desires of my heart. And that's what's happening here. And I don't think it's by accident, friends, that, that it's mentioned here that Noah was blameless in his generation because we need to see the backdrop that Noah is walking in. Is that he's blameless in his generation. As hundreds of millions are walking one way, there is one whose life looks different. I mean, it would have been so easy for Noah just to say, you know what, I'm tired, God. I'm tired of being the one. I'm tired of being the one faithful one who's walking. You know, I, I could, he could have just easily, simply just gone the way of the world. The everyday gluttonous, do what I want, follow my desires, give in to my flesh type of way. Would have been easy for him. But it says, God found favor with Noah. Why? Because it says, Noah walked with God. How's your walk with God? We use that phrase in church all the time, don't we? In our, our Bible studies and in our small groups and in our accountability groups and stuff, we, use that, we say, how's your, how's your walk? That's the first time you've heard it this morning. It's, it's okay. All it means is, how's your, how's your relationship with God? How's your devotional life? How's your, how's your prayer life, man? How, how's, how's your time in the Word? That's what it means. 
And what has happened, it says Noah walked with God. The point here is that against this backdrop of, of evil, complete evil, complete just, just sin living life, Noah's life looks different. And so I ask you this morning, against the backdrop of our generation here in 2021, does your life look different? How is your walk? How is your life? One author put it, he said, if, if, if you were to be placed in a, in a lineup, you know, like these crime shows that we watch, right? And there's, they bring you in and they put you in a lineup. This author said, what if you were placed in a lineup with four other people and the officer brought your friend in and said, hey, would you point to the Christian in this room? Would your friend point to you? Would you be convicted of being a Christ follower? Is it clear? Is it obvious? That's what we're up against here. Are you walking with God or are you walking according to the desires and the patterns of your heart? Because if you're walking according to the desires of your heart, the message from God to you today is the same message that Noah was preaching then. That it's time to get serious about who you are. It's time to get serious about our sin. It's time to get serious and, and repent. Repent just means you're going one way and you make, you make a 180 degree turn and you start walking the other way and you trust Jesus, to, you ask him to forgive you of your sin and you trust Jesus to lead you in that life. That's what it looks like. Are you walking with the Lord or are you walking the way of the world? That was, that was Noah's message, right? That was, that was what he was trying to do. He was saying, hey, hey, listen to me. The way that you're living is going against the way that God has instructed you. Hey, you better listen. Hey, I love you, I care about you. There's gonna come a day of destruction. I want you with me. And Noah preached that message and preached that message and preached that message until one day, he didn't. It leads us to our second point of contrast, which is this, the deliverance and the destruction. That we have to remember that he is the God of both. The same God that delivered the families, the same God that, that sent the flood. He is full of justice, God he is, yet he is full of mercy and grace. We have experienced that. Look at verse uh, 13. It says, then God said to Noah, the end of humanity has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence because of people. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Now let's take a time out right there. And I want you to do this. I want you to put yourself in Noah's shoes for just a minute here. And think of as if that's God saying that to you. The weight of the world is now coming upon your shoulders, it feels like, right? That's a lot for one man. Couldn't do it by himself. Verse 14 says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with the compartments and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, which is about 450 feet long. It's width 50 cubits, about 75 feet wide, and it's height 30 cubits, about 45 feet high. You shall make a, a window for the ark, and it goes on to tell him there will be three layers in the ark. And this is what he said. He says, I will bring a flood. He says, I myself am bringing a flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which there is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. Now, I don't know about you, but when I am asked to do a project, somebody's come and say, hey, Rob, can you build me a box? Well, yeah, I've built a box before. And so when they say, hey, can you build a box? In my mind, I'm thinking the box that I've built before. And I'm thinking something along those lines. And then they give me the parameters and the measurements that they want me to build this box. I'm like, whoa, hold up. That's above my pay grade, right? Like, I don't, I don't know about that box. That's a big box. 
don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I have the, the tools and the skill to, to build one that big. So I imagine that, that that's probably what, what Noah was thinking at first, right? That, that, that yes, oh, he's, uh, yeah, I need to, to build, be a part of this rescue mission. Sure, I can do that, right? And then God sits, sends down the, the parameters of which this thing is built. And I can't imagine that Noah's, the expression on Noah's face was a lot like Sheriff Brody from the movie Jaws when he sees the shark for the first time and he realizes they're on this small fishing boat and he backs in the engine compartment and he tells the captain the famous line from Jaws now that says, we're going to need a bigger boat. Right? Like Noah's like, whoa, hold up. Time out. Like Home Depot only has so much lumber. Like what, where are we getting all this stuff from? Right? And so this is, this is the way he's saying it. So Noah and his sons built this ark approximately for 75 to 100 years. Man, it's a long time. I have a, I have a picture of the ark I want to I show you. It's a big boat. I don't know where you would park one of these, do you? If you have room in your backyard, let me know. That's kind of like that, the, the, the title for next week's sermon, Where Do You Park an Ark? So come back next week and I'll, we're, we're going to fight, figure it out together, right? Just to give you an idea, this 450 feet is one and a half football fields. The width of this thing, you could fit about nine U-Haul trucks in. 45 feet tall, it's about three and a half to four stories, right? In fact, for another point of reference here, if you go to the corner of the stage over there, to the corner of the stage there, that's about the width of the ark. Kind of a big boat. I don't know what marina I could park this in yet. I'll call around and let you know next week. Another point of reference is that circle up there is, is circled around a full-size pickup truck. This is a big boat. This is a big task for, for, for one man, for God to put this on. Here's what I love about what scripture tells us next. This isn't an accident. God takes responsibility for this. It's not like God is responding to a natural disaster here and just sends a way to rescue people. No, God takes responsibility for this. This isn't like a, you know, like, like oh my gosh, the levee broke. No, we need to build a boat. Uh, okay, uh, Shim, go grab some lumber. Ham, grab the critters, get on board. The banjo music starts up and then we got to... No, this is God takes responsibility for this immediately. He says, I will destroy, but I will deliver. God is faithful, isn't he? Verse 18 says, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the yard. You, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. Everything will die, but guess what? He will establish his covenant with Noah. Chapter 7 goes on to tell us how the, the process begins and he gets the animals on board and how all that works and you should go and read it if you've never read it before. That's the fun part. It says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, now let that sink in for a minute, 600 years old. That means he started building this boat at the ripe old age of 525 years old. Now I don't know what's on your New Year's resolution list when you start your 525th year, but if it's to build a, a boat of 450 feet in length, let me know. I'd love to go out on it. We read on. This, this, is, a, this is important. In the 600 year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the day the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the, on the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons, with them entered 
the ark, they and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature, they went into the ark with Noah. Two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God has commanded. And who shut the door? The Lord shut the door. The Lord shut the door. Now I think for 40 days and 40 nights it, it continues, but I think that this is probably one of the most disheartening moments in Noah's life for his whole family. Because the Bible says that the waters begin to rise. And right before that ark begins to float for the first time, I got to imagine that, that, that they're hearing, hey, Noah, hey, I, I know we didn't believe you. I know, I know we told you that you were crazy, that that God that you're talking about, that he was crazy. And we dismissed it, man. We, we ignored you. Man, we're sorry. We, we believe you now. Noah, can you just open this door? Noah, hey, if you're not going to open the door, man, man, these waters are getting high. This level's again, we can't handle it. Noah, if you don't take me, at least take my family. Take my children. Those weren't strangers on the other side of that door. That's why the Bible says the Lord shut the door and sealed it. So they couldn't open it. Noah had heart. He, he knew those people. He knew the names of those people. It was the, it was the parents of his daughter-in-laws that were on the other side of that door as well. It must have been crazy. It must have been disheartening. The Bible says all flesh died on the move <clears throat> that moved on the earth. Everything on the dry land and those nostril, whose nostrils was the breath of life had died. He blotted out everything and the waters prevailed for hundred on the earth for 150 days. The picture, my friends, below the waterline is not pleasant. When I, was, uh, when I was a kid, we used to go to this place. I was, I was born in Ocala, Florida, home of Silver Springs. Yay, all right, so if you've been to Silver Springs, it's kind of actually cool, right? There's a lot of cool movies, like the Tarzan movies were made there back in the day, apparently. Um, a James Bond movie was filmed there. Several other underwater scenes were filmed there at Silver Springs. One of the cool things, <clears throat> outside of the alligator pen that's really cool there, is uh, they have these glass bottom boats. And in these glass bottom boats, you can go, you can walk on the boat, you can see above the waterline, but then there's like this piece of glass that is there and then you can see kind of what's below the, the you know, underneath the water, but not too far because, you know, it's just right there at the surface. About 30 miles away, southwest of Ocala, in this, outside the little town of Dunellen, Florida, is a place called Rainbow Springs. And Rainbow Springs tried to develop this into an attraction as well. Now, this is one of the things, this is one of the ways that they competed with, with Silver Springs is they, they invented submarine boats. So you were looking down into it. That was the first one. This is the second one. As a little kid, I got to go on this, these, these type boats right here. And what you would do, you could see the, you could see the top. You can see above the waterline. I mean, this, this river is beautiful. If you've never been up to, to Rainbow River, it's, it's, it's awesome. It is like crystal clear, like 20 feet down. You can see all the way to the bottom. Being above the waterline is, is one thing. But these boats were cool because you could walk on them, you go down these steps, you could, everybody had their own individual seat and everybody had their own individual window. And you could see out, and, and, and at eye level right there, you were six feet below 
the water line. It was cool. The place came to life. River that you didn't see, you know, the life of, of the river you didn't see above the water line, you got to see under and below the water line. These big, huge fish, like these bass would swim by, and you're like, hey, let me just reach out and grab it and pull it in, right? Like, man, turtles, all kinds of underwater life, otter, garfish, I mean, things that you just wouldn't see when you're above the water line. I think we know now why there were none of these type of windows on the ark. Because no one in his family would not want to have seen the reality of what was taking place below the waterline. We're talking about hundreds of millions of people, billions of people destroyed at once. This isn't something we like to talk about. It's not something you'll find on the coloring book pages in our, in, in our children's ministry. It's not something that you'll, you'll find included in the box or the, or the characters that were not on the boat. It's not something that we like to think about or talk about very much. And the point, the point here is that, that we need to realize this. If we skip over this part of the story, we've done it injustice because God hates our sin. And it's not something you and I like to talk about. It's not something that, that, you know, I had to like walk through this myself in preparing for today. God hates our sin. You know, the, the Bible says that you and I were made in the, the, the very image of God. We're made in the likeness of God. Ephesians 5.1 says that, that we should be, imitate God in all that we say and do. God doesn't like it. It grieves God's heart. And, and, and the question today is if, if God treats our sin and disobedience like he has in this story, how much more serious should we take our sin? I, I, I like to think of it like, like this way, you know, if, if God, God's goal is to deliver us out of our sin and, and destroy it, what am I doing with my sin? Am I, am I dabbling in it? Am I flirting with it? And I was like, oh man, Rob, this is just for a season. I'll, I'll take care of this later. This is not a problem now. Yeah, it's going to be, it's, look, I'll, I'll grow out of it. This will change when I, when, I, when I get that promotion. This will change. I'll just do this for now. No. It's not the way God sees our sin. John Owen, a famous theologian, said this. He says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And I guess in, in reference to, to the story where we are now, you could put it, be drowning the sin out of your life, or your sin will be drowning the life out of you. Look, I don't know, I've got my own list, right? Like, I, I don't know what you're dealing with. Maybe, maybe it's anger. I mean, look, at, look, at, look around us. Everything that we see on TV in our culture right now, everybody's just angry. You're like, oh, that's no big deal, right? Like, I, at least I didn't get as angry as that guy. Hey, God destroyed all anger from the earth in Genesis chapter 6. He's not cool with it. And we shouldn't be either. Maybe, maybe it's a sexual sin. You're like, hey, my sin is, is in the privacy of my own home. I'm, I'm not affecting anyone else. Yes, you are. You're affecting the relationships of the people around you, the people that you love. God eradicated sexual sin from the earth at that point. We should try to do the same. Maybe, maybe your thing is pride. You, you just love elevating yourself above every single one, regardless of the cost. God deleted that from the earth and so 
should we? Maybe it's, maybe it's greed, I don't know. You just have this hungry desire just to, for more and more and more and more and more at the cost of relationships, at the cost of whatever. God got rid of all of that in this moment. And for us, the message is to take a long, hard look at our lives. What, what are we allowing to stay with us and to walk with us? And the message is simple. The ask is simple from God. It's like, hey, I want to do something great in your life. It's time to search our, heart, or search our hearts. This is how serious it is, because if you look back, you can count. The beginning of chapter 7, there's like hundreds of millions, low billions of people on the earth. By the end of chapter 7, there are eight. God is serious about our sin. God is serious how we treat our sin. God is serious about us trying to destroy the sin that's in our life. Because it's not just affecting us. It's affecting other people too. It's affecting what God wants to do through you and in you. So, so I ask today, the, as we begin to close out, I ask this question. Will you, along with me, commit to searching your heart, allowing God to, to search your heart? See if there's any wicked way in us that we might be quick to confess that before a holy God. You know, he wants us to pursue holiness. That's what God wants. He wants our desires to, he wants us to chase after the desires of, of his heart, not our heart. That was, that was the message of Noah. If you're, if you're here today, you're like, Rob, I've never asked God to forgive me of, of anything. It's okay. Today's the day. Fortunately for you and I, God sent an ark for us. His name is Jesus. Amen. And Jesus took upon himself the iniquities of us all, the sins of us all, and he died that you and I may have, you and I may have eternal life with him. That alone we're thankful. We're thankful for the faithfulness of Noah. We're thankfulness that God sends once again a way of, to rescue you and I. But God is still serious about our sin. If you think it wasn't difficult for me to go through this past week in preparation for today, you're absolutely wrong. It was life-wrecking. Because those are things I had to come to terms with. Those are some things I had to deal with. And God is asking the same of us today. And so I'm going to ask in these next few moments as we bow our head, bow our heads, let's close our eyes. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And you just pray, God, if there's something, maybe I've forgotten about it. If there's something in my life that I need to confess before you today, God, be quick to do it. God is about to call a lead pastor for this church. I can't help but think that God has something special planned for Northland Church in the days ahead. We got to do our part. We got to get our house in order. We got to get our hearts in order. That whatever God is about to do through us as individuals, through us as a church, that we would be ready. And it starts today with just us searching our hearts, confessing God before him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, a holy God, simply asking for your forgiveness. God, forgive us where we have put other things on the throne before you. God, forgive us when we have pursued the desires of our heart instead of yours. 
God, forgive us of wronging the people that we love. God, forgive us of not being faithful as you have called us to do the things you have called us to do. Father, thank you for sending Jesus that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Thank you for sending Jesus that we may have eternal life and an incredible relationship with you. Thank you for paying for our sins. God, we confess them before you today. God, forgive us of a church for not being the church that we need to be in this community. God, forgive us as individuals for not being Christ followers that we need to be. Father, may you find us faithful to be in the pursuit of holiness from this day forward. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.